0: be seated. Uh, kids, if you're 12 and under, you can head to Camp Pointway. I think they've got something there special for you. So, Joe, thanks for leaving me the announcement sheet so I, I remember that. And I wasn't expecting to get a kilt this morning. That wasn't in my plans at all. So, you know, there's always surprises uh, here at Pointway. Speaking of surprises, um, We have something to celebrate this morning Um, before I get into my message. Brent and Trish, if you would come up here, um, they ran the gauntlet, they made it through the path, and they are the newest members at Point Way Church. So please give them a hand and for you guys, they survived, so congratulations. Uh, They said it was tough, Uh, they said, you know, the people they love, but the pastor, eh, you know, but... Uh, it's great, and we do welcome them as new members. And uh, we are going to be doing a membership class coming up soon. So if you're interested in that, please see me. I love doing those because it's a great opportunity to go through what we believe and where we're, our roots come from, and also uh, as we go forward as a church here. Um, God's placed us here for a reason and for a purpose. So I'd uh, love to have you be part of that. So just uh, just see me, and we'll get going soon. Man, it seems like I was only gone a week. But it seems like I was gone for like a month. I don't know. It just—it was relaxing, um, and a lot took place while I was gone. And uh, I'm thankful that you guys welcomed Dave Simmons last week. Uh, He said good things about you. I corrected him. I fixed him. I said, Dave, you don't know what it's like. If you do this every week, yeah, it's no, no. But but thank you. Thank you for welcoming. He was very pleased and uh, felt very welcomed here as he was here last week with you. Um, And I know he taught through Psalms, and Psalm 119, and I said, how in the world did you do? And he said, well, I didn't do all verses. So I said, all right, Dave, I can can understand, because if you know Psalm 119, that's the longest psalm in in the book, and so it's a lot to go through. But we are, this morning, going to continue on in the book of Amos, and I've mentioned that Amos, his name means load bearer, right, or heavy burden, so it's a heavy message that he's got. And Amos is one of the rare prophets that we know what he did actually before he became a prophet, right? It says that he raised figs. He was a fig farmer. He also was a shepherd of sheep, and most historians say that he only, not only had his own flock, but he probably overseed many flocks, so kind of was in a managerial position. Um, his writing is well-written, so we know that he had some education of some background, um, and we often think of shepherds, remember we've, we've talked about it before, the shepherds were kind of the, the low end of the tier, but Amos was probably not. Amos had some stature uh, because he did multiple things. Um, it was at a time, too, when Israel and Judah were doing very well. The nations were prosperous. Again, at this time, they were split nations, right? We had 10 tribes that went to the north, and that was called Israel, and two tribes remained in the south, and that was Judah. And they were two very distinct. They had their own kings. They had their own temples. They had divided. After Solomon, his sons split the kingdoms. And it was a 10 to 2 type ratio. But both nations were doing fairly well. Financially, physically. But unfortunately, which happens quite often, spiritually they were bankrupt. They were doing horribly spiritually. And which God does, God sends a prophet to warn Us, when we get off the path and say, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. God's not happy with you. You're not doing the right things. And Amos is commissioned to proclaim these judgments, to proclaim what God wants him to do next, to repent and turn back. And again, if you were with us, Amos chapter 1 and and even into chapter 2, God pronounced his judgment on the nations around them. Right? We talked about all the nations that were surrounding Judah in Israel. And quite often, and he was pretty harsh on them, right? He's going to wipe them out, burn down their fortresses. And quite often, it was because of the things that they were doing to other people. They were either too shrewd. They were stepping on the poor. They were killing babies. A lot of bad things. And God was not okay with that. If you remember, that was the title of the message, right? God's not okay with the sins of the nation. And then Amos turns in chapter 2 and 3, and he kind of brings it back down to the nation of Judah and Israel. And last time we spoke, we were actually focusing just on Israel, because those 10 tribes had gotten off the mark. They had gotten away from God into false idols. Maybe you remember the illustration. Jesse's here. He he might remember, right? We we talked about Jesse and I took a little walk around the sanctuary here, right? That was a relationship between God and Amos. God had his arm around He said, Amos, I want you to tell these. I know it's not going to be an easy message, but I want you to tell these people what's wrong. And we had to go tell Bryce, right? Bryce and his golden frying pan, right? And it wasn't bad enough that he had a golden frying pan, but he stole the eggs and the bacon and got Ernie to do it too. I know. Jesse remembers that well. Rachel remembered the illustration, totally forgot the scripture. We, we actually talked about that last night. And I was like, that's why sometimes illustrations are not good. But the false idols, right, and the stealing of the poor, God was not okay with it. And so he's going to bring correction. And so that brings us to where we are right now in chapter 4. And we're going to dive into chapter 4 this morning a little bit. And I titled today's message, Motives Matter. Right? Motives Matter. And you'll see, I think, as we go through this a little bit, that God doesn't want just outward action. He wants heart action. And so that's the the basis for where we're starting off from. So Amos chapter 4, ta-da, I wish I had something to do with that, I have nothing to do with that. Good work, Brandon. Uh, But chapter 4, verse 1, hear this word, you cows of Bashin on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drink. Okay. Okay. If you checked out Facebook, I told you guys that are single and men that are married that I was going to give you a marriage tip. Some of you are smiling already. Guess what? Calling a woman a cow is never acceptable, all right? Don't do it. Don't even go there. Don't go near it. It is not going to work, all right? If you get the golden frying pan upside the head, you deserve it, all right? There's no way to make that sound good. I say this from experience, and I didn't even call PJ a cow, but I made the mistake of saying, we used to name our cows on the farm. Jeb right? You name them, right? Because they know your name and you call the cows in, right? And I made the mistake of saying, and again, this is really going to get me in trouble, PJ stands for Phyllis Jean. I know that's probably a secret to some of you. I, I usually don't say that. But I said, Phyllis makes a good name for a cow. Mistake. I paid for that one dearly. I may pay for it again even today, but guys, do not refer to your wife, girlfriend, any woman as a cow, because guess what? It's not a compliment. You cannot dig out of that hole. There is no way, no matter how much you say, that cow calling out the is not going to work. Amos is doing the same thing here. He's calling out the women who are actually sitting around the temple, right? And these women have rose to prominent. They're probably wealthy. Most referenced, they were probably rather large. Again, so replicating the cow. Um, but Amos is calling out. But don't miss why he does this. I think he, he uses the word cow to get their attention, which I will get you the woman's attention. Trust me on that one. All right? But look at what they were doing. They were oppressing the poor and crushing the needy. That's one of the accounts. And again, it wasn't just the women. So guys, you're not, not off here, you're not saying, oh, well, those women, yeah, see what they were, no, no, it was the guys as well. The whole nation was doing this. But they were oppressing those who were in need and they weren't taking care of their own. Right? I have a friend that was living in Vermont and he had a whole ministry set up and someone can Google and see how many times I mentioned the Bible, but we are called as believers and Israel was called even back then to take care of the poor and needy. And yes, I know, Jesus said, there will always be poor and needy. We're never going to run out of that command. But that command never changes, though, either. We are to take care of one another. If we have, and we have the means to give, we are to give, to help them out. And you can say, well, wait a minute, Charlie, I, I, you know, I know people that take advantage, and, 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 and I get that. I've been in ministry long enough that I know that we have people sometimes, and we, we're not helping them by helping them. But it doesn't change the call. And we need discernment on that and how we do that. And I agree, not enabling someone. But the call doesn't change. As people of God, we are to help those in need. And guess what? Israel gotten away from that. They weren't doing that. In fact, they were going one step further. They were taking advantage of them. Taking even more from them. Making them even poorer or even more needy. So that's the mindset here. That's what's going on. And Amos is calling them out. And if that wasn't enough, we see this little half of a sentence here. Say to your husbands, bring us some drink. Again, context is key, right? Because if I just said, you know, if PJ asked me to go get a cup of coffee, I've gotten a lot of cups of coffee. I'm not opposed to getting PJ a cup of coffee, and there would be nothing more said. But again, the motive matters. The problem here is the motive, it's a heart of motive that there Commanding people. It's not a, a relationshipal ask. It's a command and it's out of order, right? There's an expectation. Again, the one up. It's not a mutual respect here. And so that's kind of giving you a glimpse because you're going to see their attitude is wrong. Their motive is wrong and for what they're doing. And just like here, Amos is calling these ladies out because they're wrong. They have the wrong motives for what they're doing and they're doing wrong. All that in verse 1. All right, so you've got your marriage tip, you've got your relationship tip, and you also see why. You could do almost a message on that alone, but there's a lot more here in this chapter, in these 13 verses. So we're going to go through it this morning. So verse 2 and 3. It says, The Sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You will each go straight out through the breaks in the wall, and you'll be casually reading it, toward Harman, declares the Lord. Again, if you just casually read it and you don't know the context, it makes it a little bit difficult to understand here, but God's going to bring judgment upon this nation. You know, we have the advantage point of looking back. Again, Amos is telling what's to come. And again, the, the meat hooks that he's talking about, it's talking about the savagery in which they get overtaken. It, it, it's a literal spearing and, and, and cutting people in half with a sword. Again, the Assyrians are to the north. They're the ones that God's going to use, and, and, and they do. They, they come through and they wipe out a large portion of Israel. Those ten tribes are never going to be brought back together again. You don't hear about them from 722 on as a nation. It's gone. It's not even been replaced today. Even to this day, there's still not that nation there. So that's the, the savagery. But even in that prophecy of the spear and the sword and all those are going to be killed, it, it gives a little bit of hope, sort of, but it talks about these fish hooks and people being led through the wall. If you remember from last time, I know it's a couple weeks ago, but God promised that there would still be a remnant, right? there will still be a few. God doesn't totally annihilate the Jews at any, one, any point in time, and so there's still a remnant, but they're going to be humiliated. They're going to be, literally have a hook, either through the ear or the cheek, Different countries did it different ways, but they would be led through in a line, right? And you had to keep up. Otherwise, you pulled on the person in front of you, and you would drag the person behind you. It's a brutal way. It's painful. It's a soft spot, right? This has nothing to do with fishing, so don't go there with me, all right? Some of you got that, I know. But it was a humiliating way. It was And being led. In fact, it even talks about leading through to Harman, which is prophecy of it's to the north, right? That, that was north of where these ladies were set up in the temple. It was predicting who the, the person was. It was coming from the Assyrians in the north. That stuff's fascinating to me. I mean, we, we, we think of God's prophecy and sometimes it's general and we don't know all the details. But actually, when you look back through here, there are a lot of details. It happens exactly like this. It was that way that it took place. And so these people are going to be led through the wall in a humiliating way, just a few of them. Tough stuff. As he said, he went through the wall. Then he changes gears a little bit. You know, That's uh, the, the doom, and that's what's coming. But then he's going to address the deeper issue. So we see that here in verse 4. It says, And sin yet Bethel, and sin... Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your more, your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them to the Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the Sovereign Lord. Right? Again, Bethel is where they've established this temple. That's where Bryce and his golden frying pan had set up shop. We use that as an example, right? And he's saying, go and sin, right? He's telling them to go there and sin. No, he's not telling them that they have to sin. He's telling them that's what they've been doing. Again, he's bringing that clearer picture now. And again, it's not only bad enough that they're sinning where they live and during their everyday life, but they're sinning in their worship, Take it one step further. He says, bring your sacrifices every morning. Right? That wasn't a requirement. Levitical law wasn't they had to do it every morning. It was only once. Right? But he's saying, hey, step up your game if you want. Do it more often. Right? Bring your tithes every three years. Instead, it was every seventh year. Right? They're doing even more. Gilgad's not a temple, but Gilgad is actually where they came across the Jordan River, and they set up rocks. I don't know if you remember the story, but when they got across to the other side, they had twelve stones and they made a, an altar there and they sacrificed. It was a holy place to them. Amos reminds him over and over again. Even our song that we sang this morning about God holding back the waters, that's that reference to crossing the Red Sea. Good job tying that in, Amy. Thank you. Uh, she had yeah, you know, we joke about that, but Holy Spirit does that. But he's saying, you know, you can keep doing these things even more you can do the outward expression. You can do it even to the above and beyond what the requirement is. If your motives aren't pure, it's just sin. That's really what he's saying here. I take it as a warning for us as well. I mean, we can get into that same trap, right? We can check the boxes, right? I Been guilty of that myself, right? Yeah, I did my morning devotions, and I did my five-minute prayer. I went to church on Sunday. Yeah, I'm all set. But then I go out and live the rest of the day as though I'm in control or that I'm in charge, right? We do things out of obligation or what we think is right, but there's no heart. There's no motivation. My motivations are, are not pure. I'm just doing it as one thing that I have to do, not because I want to do it. And so really that's what Amos is calling to account here is, and God himself, what's your motivation? Why are you doing this? Right? You've gotten away from me. Things are going too well. Then he shifts back again. Again, Amos kind of does this a little bit, so you have to kind of keep following, but the, the theme remains the same. Remember, Amos is there to warn them. He's giving them opportunities, and he's going to bring them to mind Some other warnings here in the next couple of verses. Verse 6 says, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Right? He's brought some hard times on them. I told you, the the nation was doing well at the moment. Sometimes that's when we get in the most trouble, but they've also had some hard times along the way, and God was giving that to them as a warning. Hey, you're, you're getting away from me. You're relying on yourself or you're taking advantage of others when you should be relying on me. That's really what he's saying here. I, I've given you opportunities. I'm sending you the warning lights, right? Yet, even with the warning lights, they have not returned to him. They've gotten far, farther away. We see the progression. Verse 7, I all held rain from you. When the harvest was still three months away, I sent rain on one town, but with it from another, withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I love it. It's very clear there in Scripture, right? What is he looking for? What's he looking for from his people? For them to to them. Yeah, to return to them, right? Return back to your love of God. Return back to worshiping me. I also love it that it gives us a picture that God is in control of everything. You know, we say that, but sometimes we forget that, right? I mean, we're, we're experiencing beautiful weather right now. It's easy to say, yeah, thank you, God. We, we appreciate that. i I with you believe me i enjoyed the sun in arizona um i wouldn't mind wearing the kilt it would have been fine there (laughs) early this morning probably not so much but but no we enjoy the weather right but are we the same way when it snows or when it's raining or when it's cold or when it's three weeks of minus below zero it's harder huh but is god still in control most of you are doing it right. Yes. Yeah, I don't ask rhetorical questions. I know Scripture does, but right, yeah. No. God is still controlling, control, and He uses even the weather to help us point us back to Him. Scripture later on says it, right? We're without excuse, because even creation points to Him, preaches the gospel. I love that, that imagery. So God did that for them. He, he showed them. He showed them even as individuals in the nation. Some, one area would have rain, and, and then they would have rain, but it would be at the wrong time, or it wouldn't have rain. And again, agricultural society, that was vitally important, right? They didn't, they, storing up food, and if you missed a harvest, it was going to be a tough time until you could get back around again to another crop. And there's certain times that you really need the water. You need to count on that, and you can't produce that on your own. And again, that reliance upon God. And what Amos is saying here is, You've seen along the way my warnings, and yet you've not returned to me. Verse 9 Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and your olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I've sent plagues among you, as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with capturing your horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Again, as if that wasn't enough, right? He kind of ups it a little bit more. There was even more signs. You should have seen it coming. All right, I held the rain, the timing the crops. Now I've sent plagues, I've sent locusts to eat disaster after disaster. Yet you still haven't returned to me, he says. I sent a plague, right? Plagues, again, if you read back through the story of Israel being rescued out of Egypt, right? Like with that time of the plagues, as God is showing himself to Pharaoh, read back to their love back then. Yet, they have not returned back to him. They have not gone back to their love for God. And so it's gotten harder, right? Again, God's given them all the warnings, and because they're still not returning, he's upping the consequences. Now it's cost them some of their young men, right? They brought enemies among them that's killed, especially on the border towns, that would happen. We know that from earlier, right? We saw where the nations were judged because of the way they treated, and so they saw that in their time. They knew that was part of their history, right? People were being died. areas were being captured. At times, the stench of death, that's what he's saying here. That's what that the stench, you not; know, you can't get it out. It's, it's embedded in you. And he ends it with, yet you have not returned. Now, before we get too hard on Israel, or too hard on God's judgment on his people, we have to take that inner look, right? We have to look at ourselves sometimes. How many times have we gotten ourselves to a point where man, how in the world did I get this far off, right? Then we look back and say, oh yeah, I, I could have made a different choice there and, and gotten off this, this path, or I could have stopped it right then and there, but no, I kept going, right? I like to override. I have an override button. It's not a good one, but we override. We know what God says, but we hit override. Ah, uh, That's not going to matter. I'll just, I can do it a little bit, and we hit override. Same thing here, it's been a progression to, to get where they're at. And God's saying, come back, return, come back to me before it's too late. So it's a warning, and it's a warning that goes over and over again. Verse 11, it says, I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire. Yet you have not returned to me. right? you haven't read your Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? God brings down his judgment. Lot is involved with that. If you haven't read your Old Testament, it's a good time to go back to that because it really helps you understand the Old Testament because, again, they're all cohesive. They all work together. But what the point that Amos is using here and using that reference is, remember, God only rescued Lot and his daughters from that. Remember, Abraham pleaded with them, right? Is there any... One righteous in that. Is there a is hundred? God says, no. Well, how about 50? Will you spare your judgment? Right? No, there wasn't even 50. How about 10? And finally, God says, only Lot and his family. And again, he gave the judgment. You can't look back. And we know that Lot's wife didn't look back. And she died. But it's that same imagery that you had chances, you had opportunities. And despite what's going on around you, you still have the opportunity to serve God. We turn back, right? Just like us, we can't turn a nation around. Sorry, none of us here are are that powerful. I'd like to think that we could, but we can turn ourselves around. We can have influence in the community around us. And God can do that, but we're responsible for ourselves. And so, so he's saying he snatches just a few. And again, we know from this prophecy that only a few remain. Only a few of them come out of this, right, that are left after his judgment. All right, lastly but not least, last couple of verses here. There is good news. Uh, Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. He who forms the mountains creates the wind, and reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness and treads the high places of the earth, the Lord Almighty, the Lord God Almighty is his name, right? He says, meet the warnings, you've been given enough chance, now you're going to come to your end. You're going to meet God the judge, right? You say, well, Charlie, what's the hope in that? The hope is that it's not too late. Each one of us here today have that opportunity. And if you're already a believer, you already have that hope, right? We don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear meeting our Lord. Right? It's been paid for on the cross. We're going to celebrate that in a few minutes. I love this time of year. I just going to tell you, as a pastor, Easter is one of my favorite times of year. I, I, can, I could skip Christmas. I really could. Easter is my, one of my favorite times of year because it is of great hope, right? The hope of the resurrection, right? That's why we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry about facing the Lord our God. Now, God's not okay with our sin. He's not okay if, if we're following some of these things, if we're not taking care of the needy and the poor. He's not okay if we're oppressing those. No, and there are consequences for those, but we don't have to fear the judgment, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We don't have to fear the spending eternity in hell. So there is great hope in this. We can learn from the mistakes that were made in Israel. We can check our motives, right? What's the motive of our heart? Are we worshiping God with our heart, soul, and mind, right? And to take care of those in need. God wants our heart. He wants us to be right with him. And you have that opportunity this morning. Bow with me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we we thank you so much that you give us the example in your word, that you give us that great hope that we have in you. Lord, you've given us warning after warning after warning. And Lord, may we heed that. May we turn, repent from our sins, and turn towards you. Lord, I thank you for the work that you did on the cross, that we may have eternal life with you. And as we celebrate that this morning and upcoming Easter, Lord, and we look forward to that day of being with you, may you just continue to bless us, continue to help us to see others as you see them, Help us not to miss those opportunities for those that are in need around us. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I need a couple of elders to come up and help me as we take communion this morning. As they're coming up, remind you that our communion table is open. Um, and I say that it's open, it's open to anyone who believes. Right? You don't have to be a member at Pointway. Um, it's open to all those who believe, and it's open to anyone that's here this morning that believes in Jesus Christ. But it does come with a warning. Scripture does warn us how we are to approach God's table. That warning comes in Corinthians and where it says, Therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks from the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks from the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Good time to check our motives, right? Kind of worked out well. But what we like to do here at Pointway is just right where you're sitting, just take a few moments, just close your eyes, bow your head, just between you and God. Make sure that you're right with him before we continue on with communion. Bryce, if he'll give thanks for the, the bread and the cup that we are about to receive Father we thank you for this bread and this cup the reminder of your death burial and resurrection and your payment for our sin partake in this life. Amen. We look to the bread. It says, For what I receive from the Lord, I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. As the worship team comes up and leads us in our final song, we're reminded that we still have cups left over uh, and bread left over. And again, it's a reminder for us that there are still people out there that don't know Jesus yet and that they can't partake in this yet. And so Our mission or our goal is that we share the good news. Again, it's not up to us whether they accept it or not, but it is up to us to share it. And so we need to be reminded of that. And again, maybe God will give you that opportunity this week. So thank you.